When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Shades of Blue Soccer Show. This is Thad. Uh, ben, we have you on the line? Yes, you do. Mike, you? I'm here. All right. One of the things I sometimes forget to do, or quite often, is make sure that we actually introduce ourselves. Thad Bell, BlueTestament.com. Ben, uh, from BlueTestament.com also. Mike, from down the byline, uh, .com. Um, I, I didn't forget anybody this time, did I? No. All right. Um, first up on the agenda, sporting loss to Houston. Those big orange clouds coming over the stadium right at the beginning, was that a bad omen, Ben? <laughs> well, I, I mean, given the result that ended up happening, I guess. So, um, so sporting against the take on Houston, nationally televised Friday night, and Houston's been awful on the road. Um, they won. They've got four points in in, in thirty out of thirty six possible on the road this year. They've given up forty five goals in the year, so it looks like it was a match that Sporting Kansas City could um, win and they could try and bounce back from their um, uh, three three no loss to DC United. Well, uh, in seventeen minutes into the game, still scoreless. Houston was kind of controlling the game at that point. They ended up they ended up. Spending the game for lightning and rain issues, so we had about an 80 minute delay. After that, um, Sporting came out uh, and did well for the first 15 minutes after the break and had a couple of scoring chances. And then Houston scored for the first time, so they went into the league, they went into the locker room with a one nothing lead. Um, and Sporting equalized um, just for the second half. To make one one, and then after that, it, it just all, all went to hell from there. For Sporting, Houston scored two more times um, to, to go ahead three to one, and by that point, they were able to sit back and just kind of absorb Sporting Kansas City's pressure. And so now this became the second time in two games that Sporting has given up three goals at home. Um, a six goal week given up by Sporting Kansas City defense, which sometimes it takes them a couple months to give up six goals. So, Mike, what what went wrong? What do you think? I mean, there were the, you, you could point to any number of things that went wrong, but I, I mean, the the big thing was uh, was the set pieces, uh, spe- specifically again, Brad Davis. We <clears throat> we've always tended to be a good set piece defensive team, but uh, it seems like we always fall apart against uh, uh, against Houston when it comes to the set pieces. 
and uh and, and they hurt us with uh with two in the second half in fairly quick succession to uh to put them up three to one. So uh against D C it was the organization of the back line and the uh and the susceptibility to counters against uh, against Houston it, it came down to an inability to defend set pieces. The obviously Brad Davis is one of the best set piece takers in the league. He's been that way for many years and why he even made the trip to Brazil. But really it wasn't the fact that he was a great set piece taker. It was that sporting didn't mark their people. Was, I mean, is that a fair statement? Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Kansas City just, I mean, the the first goal is, a, is just a perfect example of that. I mean, Olam just stopped following Horst. He just kind of stood there as Horst made a break towards where the ball was going to be. And the the second one again, uh, Sapong was slow slow to follow uh, follow Clark on that, and Clark just got the glancing header. So it, it was just an inability to uh, to stay with marks on on set pieces. I think Peter Vermees. Yeah, go ahead. Dan. Sorry, I think Peter put it very simply when he said that even at 48 years old, if he was as wide open as Horst was on his goal, he'd been able to put that in as well. That's exactly where I was going to go, Ben. Oh. It's amazing that the majority of damage that's been done to sporting in these two home games has come in a very short span of time over, I mean, the the first the two games ago with D.C., it was like an eight-minute span, seven or eight minutes. And this one was like five minutes that those two goals came in. The two goals came in. The first one that was, you know, that was a problem on its own. But that two goals came in in like five minutes span. That's not normal for sporting to fall apart like that or not recover well from one from giving up a goal. Yeah. Yesterday at practice, I talked to uh, Zussi and kind of asked him about the, the troubles. And it's a little bit longer than I would like to normally play on a podcast. But Zussi is a very slow, deliberate answerer, if that's the right word, uh, when he's asked a question. So it's about three minutes long, so please bear with it. But it's a uh, sporting midfielder, veteran, World Cup veteran, Graham Zussi, uh, talking about what's going on with sporting right now. I think, I think it comes down to, to really one thing, and it's the team's mentality going into games and and in the games as well. Um Skids like this happen all the time. Uh, can't name one team in the league that this hasn't happened to. Um, but it's how it's how you you react to it, um, how you get out of it that uh, that proves to be the difference. Um, and for us, uh, we're no different. We've we've been in these these kinds of skids before, and. Um, We've generally always reacted well to them, um, pull ourselves out of it fairly quickly, and, and really turn things around. Um, I think this time can be no different. Uh, I think I think you'll see us pull ourselves out of it, 
because that's just the team we are. Uh, we, we do have a strong uh, strong group of guys with a, with a strong mentality. And um, uh, I go back to that because I think that's all it is. It's, it's, you know, for, for one reason or another, uh, I, I think it's a loss of confidence a little bit. Um, it's solid in that and that Houston game come out, I think, more than more than it has uh, us uh, not imposing ourselves on the game, and and that almost never happens. Uh, so I think it's it's just that coming out with a, a strong mentality, a confident mentality that that we're going to be uh, a tough tough team to play against, a tough team to beat. I think if we get back to that, then we'll get back to our winning ways. Um, the team's always been a tough team to beat, even when it wasn't necessarily winning. Uh, six goals in the last two home games and coming in little short bursts. Yeah. Does that maybe hurt the confidence a little bit more instead of it had been a one-goal loss? Or? Uh, you know what? Looking back at it, not really. It's, it's almost the opposite because you look at the past... You know, 180 minutes at home. What's killed us is about a 12-minute period in that 180 minutes. So um, it goes back to that that kind of mentality of playing every minute of of every game, having to focus uh, every minute of of every game. And um, when we get back to that, those those little lapses will start to disappear. And he won't see those skids. All right. Uh, Susie basically says that 12-minute span of giving up goals um, is actually a little bit better than if it had been spread out. What do you guys think, Ben? Well, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm still trying to catch up with the, the answer. You're right. He is very, very um, slow and deliberate with his answers, which – I guess is better than um, than really fast and saying a mistake. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm still trying to find a way to react to that. Um, would you be able to say the question again, just to make sure I uh, heard you right? I was just saying that uh, Graham was saying that because of the the goals all came in that little twelve minute span, eight minutes or seven minutes in one game, five in another. But it's it's almost easier to take. It's it doesn't it it doesn't hurt the confidence as much because it only it came in little short spans and they really just need to get back to um one of Vermeer's favorite sayings is play every roll of the ball, but essentially it means being, you know, on every second, you know, doing the right thing every second of every every play. So is it easier because it's just a short little lapse and it's not five problems spread out over two games or six problems spread out over two games. That's so really two segments of time where everybody wasn't in sync. I don't know. I, I, I keep thinking about that, but look, looking back at the DC United game, especially, well, you had that 10 minutes in the 10, 12 minutes in the first half when they scored all their goals. But in the second half, DC United was really Boston sporting Kansas city around the park. There was a couple of, Chances that went off the post that should that should have been goals. There was a couple of 
big saves that John Campanetta made made for DC United got behind the defense. Now that wasn't as apparent in the Houston game, but I think it was still there. Houston was still able to get some opportunities and um, later in the second half. So, you know, the, there were those moments where the teams finished their chances, um, but it, it, not not. I wouldn't say in either of those games, Sporting looked like the better team for the majority of the game. Maybe 25% of the game in both those games, but I don't know. Yeah, they just didn't look good at all in those games. So how about you, Mike? What do you think? I mean, I, I agree to an extent. There there were small periods of time that that led to it. But it, it's it's the fact that Kansas City hasn't been ha, hasn't been in those situations in, in prior years. We we haven't seen those sorts of sorts of situations where we give up three goals in eight minutes or two goals in five minutes like we did the last two games. It it, it just it is a different it, it's a different situation. The team for the past few years has always seemed so strong mentally, whereas to, to the point where they don't have those sorts of situations, they, they, they give up the goal. And the, the old adage is, is the next five minutes after that. And Kansas city always seemed to be very good, at least defensively at shutting down those next five minutes at reestablishing the game, reestablishing their, uh, the, the, their style of play and the last two games, it it hasn't been there. That 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 composure, that that um, pick yourself back up, just hasn't seemed to be there immediately after that. And, and it, I, I think, I like I said, to an extent, I agree with them, but it, it speaks to a different area of the field that I think that I think could be a problem. Then, yeah, I think I, mean, I think there's more than just one problem, but. Uh, to counter what you guys are saying a little bit is um, last year, well, agreeing with you, but last year sporting was really good at every roll of the ball and, you know, the next five minutes and, and all of that. But the two years prior to that, they weren't quite as good. I mean, I, I know we gave up, we lost a couple games and, you know, giving up a couple goals in the last, you know, essentially stoppage time, um, things like that. And, and you have way better memory at those facts than I do, Mike. So I'll defer to you, but I, didn't we lose to Portland or Seattle here at home two years ago with giving up like two goals very late in the game? Um, uh, that, that was Seattle, but that was three years ago. That was 2011. Okay. Um, I think that we did something similar with Portland or Vancouver, one of the Cascadia teams like two years ago. But again, I, I'm definitely willing to admit that I could be wrong. Um, but we've had some segments in the last three or four years that we've given up chunks of goals in in a short period of time. It's just that they've learned from that and corrected it. But a lot of those, some of those same people aren't necessarily in the lineup at this point in time. Um, Dom, Suni starting, um, Benny, who was here last year, but wasn't, um, he was here for the previous year. But uh, is this, I don't know, there's enough change. I don't know if that's maybe part of it is that they have to relearn that lesson to play every role of the ball. 
No, we're not. Um, moving on. I think uh, Andy Grunebaum has been practicing. So I'm doing a little practice yesterday, and he was looking okay. I don't know if anybody's Vermees has made any statements today about who might be starting, but Andy Grunebaum, Andy G versus Little Puma, who do you start? I'll, Mike, I'll let you start since uh, you're the keeper in the group. No problem. Um, uh, I mean, for for me, it without seeing him, it, it depends on where where Andy's at. I mean, um, he he was out with the with the shoulder injury, and that's that basically with any part of your upper body or arm for for a keeper is a uh, is an area that you don't that if you're not 100% you really shouldn't be on the field. I mean with with the way keepers play having to having to reach up to grab crosses, having to have their arms above their head when they're diving for saves or anything. The uh, the the shoulder is an area that if he's not 100% I don't want him on the field. I think what if he's 100% I I probably would like to see Andy on the field. I I I don't think uh, that Kempen is to blame for uh, for it, it, for any of at least by himself for any of the stretch. But I think a a more experienced keeper probably does a bit better with uh, with the back line. I think that that's been another thing that's been our downfall lately is with Kempen not being experienced uh, in in games and our back line so used to having a an experienced keeper back behind him, even with Kromberg, you still had the experience of being in the league for as long as he had. I think, I think that Beasler and Colin are not used to having to, having to be the primary organizers of the back line. Um, like they are with Kempen, uh, unlike with Nielsen, Kromberg, uh, uh, Grunbaum, or or even Howard when you uh, when you put Beesler into the national team picture, it, it's it's a different situation that neither of those two has really been in, and I, I don't think think it's an area that the two have excelled at. So if Grunbaum's one hundred percent, I want I, I want Grunbaum in there, but if he's not one hundred percent with his shoulder. I still say you have to go with Kemp, and you have to go with the guy who is 100% fit at this point. So just just to make sure, the the deciding factor for you is, I mean, uh, it's not down to which one of them blocks shots. It's the it's the fact that Andy's probably the better organizer based upon his his experience at this point. Correct. Yes. Cool. Ben, you got anything to add to that or differing opinion? Um, I, I mean, I agree with him. If looking at the way Campins plays and his games that he started, he's done uh, decently. I mean, he's not horrific. He's he's not even bad. He's he's been a decent keeper. Um, so uh, uh, there's absolutely if if Grunemann is now 100% fit, like Mike said, um, Campins should play. Uh, he has been a very competent keeper, and there's no reason to rush Andy back. Um, if he's not ready, so if he's, I I wonder, I, I doubt he would travel 
actually out. Actually, never mind. He might because um, they got the New York game. I was going to say I doubt he travels um, if he if he wasn't starting. But now that I think about it, he could. I I, I could see Hampton getting the New England game, then uh, Grinnebaum getting the New York game on Saturday. Do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, and Vermees has been pretty consistent through his co- uh, coaching career that he doesn't put players back on the field if they're not pretty darn close to 100%. He just doesn't want to put, put you know risk putting somebody back in a game and have them get hurt and be out even longer the next time. It does happen once in a while. I mean, that's kind of happened with Nagamura. Um and Julian Yeah. Well, I think the defensive line this year has been a little bit a uh, little bit more reason that he's had to push it than in the past, but and that's why we've had Peterson in the back and Ellis at every position and things like that. Um he, so he's going to he's going to usually err on the side of caution. So I would say if if Andy G is even in the 18, he is Probably at ninety ninety five plus. It, you know, I don't know how you quantify that exact percentage there, but somehow. So I'd say he's really close. So he, you know, maybe in theory he sits on the bench and Kempen starts, and he just gets that extra couple days to make sure everything's good uh, before he starts in New York. But I, I would not be surprised to see him starting in uh, New England either. Again, agreeing with you guys, not that Kempen's been bad. I think perhaps somebody with slightly more experience may have been able to do something with a couple of those goals, but that's not faulting him as much as just the fact that his defense didn't put him in the right, you know, didn't didn't help him out too much. All right. Um, anything else about... We lost to Houston that we should cover that I didn't think of to put in our agenda. Um, I, I think what it does, and considering the results that um, happened in the rest of the um, league this weekend, it really puts um, Sporting in a hole regarding the Supporters' Shield race. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, before the DC United match, we talked about how this was such a huge that that was such a huge match um, for the Supporters' Shield in the Eastern Conference race. Well, they lost that, and I'm like, okay, maybe the maybe they're not going to get the Supporters' Shield. And I mean, that didn't exactly change based on one game, but that definitely put a hole in it. This game put. Um, 14 now, four points down to DC United in the Eastern Conference, uh, six points down to Seattle in the um, Supporter Shield race, uh, four points down to Los Angeles in the Supporter Shield race, and a point down to Real Salt Lake. And Los Angeles and Seattle both have games in hand against Sporting Hand City. So, with I believe nine matches to go, now the the hopes for to get the Supporter Shield. Are looking very, very slim. Um, they're tied with DC. Uh, sorry, they're tied with FC Dallas, um, even on both points in games. So now this field is really, really crowded. And the leads that Seattle, Los Angeles, and DC have are going to be very, very tough to overcome. 
Um, it's going to be tough to get CBC United. Now, having that game in October and possibly getting three points in Washington, which very difficult, would, would definitely help if they can get it. But now it looks like these regular season goals that they might have are seem to be um, starting, to, starting to slip away. Um, and now there's still a lot of season left, like I said, nine matches to go, but... Um, Sorry, eight matches to go. Um, but it, th- these two games really did a number did a number on. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly over the supporter shield at this point. <laughs> I hate to say that. You know, and hopefully they can come back. But right now I'm more worried about just positioning for the playoffs. Well, and, and to put it put it a different way, I, I look at it this way. I saw uh, something that I, I, I retweeted earlier today. In the month of August, Kansas City picked up four points. Only uh, I think only two teams uh, picked up fewer. I think Colorado and Chivas were the only two teams that picked up fewer points than us in the month of August. Meanwhile, uh, L.A. has put themselves right back into the Supporters' Shield race by getting – getting 16 points in the month of August. So, I mean, one month can can change a lot for uh for the team for any team really, especially in MLS with it, with the level of parity. But I I don't think I I don't know if Kansas City can do that, but it certainly can be done. Um I mean, uh LA proved has proven that over the last month that they can uh, they can reinsert themselves into uh, into the supporter shield race uh, by, by getting the results. Now, part of that is being healthy, which unfortunately Kansas City really isn't. So, uh, yeah, I mean it's very true. And just about every year we see some team make a big jump from you know fifth place to second place or um, in the standings or for the supporter shield running. It's going to happen almost every year. That's that's kind of sports. Uh, I think sporting is reasonably positioned to make that jump. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, well, considering the three matches that sporting has coming up, New England, who has done better recently, they had that stretch in the middle of the season where they were just awful. Um, and plus the addition of Jermaine Jones really gives them a nice little boost in the midfield um, to complement uh, uh, Lee Gwynn and, um, and all that. So New England's going to be tough tomorrow. Um, or I guess you're listening to this tomorrow, tough this evening. Um, and then afterwards they've got New York, who is not, not the team they were last year. They came in Sporting Park, got a, got a draw earlier in the season. Um, it's a beatable team even on the road, and then away at Chivas, and Chivas is a beatable team at, on the road as well. So, looking at these three games, um, this is going to be a, a very important stretch um, get, see, to see how Sporting Kansas City ends up um, uh, ends up for the rest of the year. I haven't really looked at DC United's schedule. That's the team I'm worried about most. I really want the Eastern Conference so that we don't have to worry about postseason results for the Champions League. I, 
I I don't want to leave it up to having to win the MLS Cup again to get to the 2015-2016 Champions League because unless the rules have changed, um, even if they were to win the Champions League next year, they still wouldn't get into the next one. Is, is that correct, Mike? But yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I'm I really want them to really focus service on the on the Eastern Conference and these the, these three games, these three road games are going to be very very big for them. We've kind of skirted around the fact that uh, I mean not really skirted, but we've we've talked about the New England game coming up, but we haven't really plainly said here's the preview. Um, mm-hmm. Anybody want to? Anybody want to give a breakdown of uh, New England and what their lineup would be coming into this game, do you think? Well, I, I really – New England will be uh, – it, it'll be an interesting uh, situation. They do have Jermaine Jones uh, in with with the team now, um, and he could possibly see his first start Um Scott Caldwell, who uh, who has been playing uh, a bit more withdrawn for the uh, for the Revs lately, is out with uh, with yellow card accumulation. So that could allow Jones into the lineup. The question uh, that that'll be asked is whether he's whether he's going to be fit to uh, to play a starter's role. I know, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Sad uh, Vermes doesn't like to. Uh, in, doesn't like to have guys in the lineup unless they're 100% ready to go. Um, it could be a situation where Heaps is going to be more inclined to uh, to start uh, Jones in that withdrawn role to uh, to get him on the field just due to a uh, just due to talent level. But um, uh, other than that, they they still have uh, they, they still have Davies, they still have Bumbury up top, Rewin and. Uh, um uh, Kellen Rowe. Rowe didn't actually play uh the last time we played them up in uh up in New England earlier this year. So that that is certainly uh an extra level of offense that they're going to uh be able to bring our way that they didn't when we when we played them up there earlier this year. So that that's one thing that you really have to uh be mindful of is just the the level of attacking options they have with the likes of Bunbury and Wynn and um, and uh, Rowe and Davies, all those guys, they, they have a lot of young options that, that can really hurt you, and that, that's even without me mentioning uh, Fagundes. So they, they, there's a lot of talent there, especially attacking-wise, that, that, that could definitely cause Kansas City some problems if the defense continues to play that they, the way that they have the last few. Yeah, the, it, it's always amazing. It it completely slips in my mind until we play New England that Charlie Davis is even still in the league. Uh, but I know he's still there. He's, you know, still a good player, but I keep forgetting about him. And then we have, obviously, Bunbury, who would love to score a couple goals on sporting. Uh, on the sporting side, we have, obviously, two players that won't be playing that game because of yellow card accumulation. Dom Dwyer and Benny Failhopper. Um, Dom, I think, I think Vermees may regret that uh, selfie that Dom took a couple few weeks ago, even more now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did ask Vermees about that because at the time he said he, yeah, he didn't really care about it as long as it didn't hurt the team. Well, this week it hurts the team. 
that uh, he wouldn't be having, he wouldn't have to sit out if he hadn't had that yellow card for that. He did respond fairly well to that question, saying that uh, if the league is going to promote it and you know put it in their highlight videos, then it shouldn't be a yellow card. But um, who do you think uh, slots in up top with Dom out, and what do you think our midfield is going to look like this week? I'll just throw that up to whoever wants to answer. Um, I'll go. Um, I, I think I, I bet that they go with um, Biela. Um, I saw. I, I actually think I saw some article somewhere saying that it, that they were going to have uh, Biela. Um, um, starting, yeah, I remember I was talking. I think it was, yeah, um, Steve Brisbane had an article about it. Um, so that Burmese said there's a very good chance it's going to be, um, be Ailer starting tomorrow. So that'll be interesting because going on to it, Ailer hasn't been playing much this season. Um, coming into a different surface on that. On edge of the stadium turf, um, and w- without the attack of Benny Fellhaber behind him, it'll be interesting to see. Um, now going back to midfield, I I, I think we'll likely see Zuzi fly back to midfield with Claros and Olam um, back there, um, and then up and then up top you have Zod and probably Tony. Um, either that or they'll put Zuzia uh, on the wing and Tony in at center attacking mid with Carlos and Olam in the midfield. I keep going back and forth between those two scenarios. I think it's more likely with Zuzia in, in the midfield. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking with all the attacking talent they have up there and the problems we've had defensively, there'll be a good chance that there'll be two more defensive midfielders, Carlos and Olam, in there. Um and I would guess with those two in there and Benny out, I think he would probably go with Zussi just because he would have the uh, the legs and the experience with the team to uh, more or less run the attack up top. Yeah. Uh, how about you, I, Mike? Would you, would you go that I, way or I, do something different? I tend to agree for the most part. The only potential change that that I would look to make is um, is if you want a little more uh, mobility, I guess you want to say in, in the midfield, is uh, you you sit Olam, who uh, who I think was arguably our worst player against Houston, and uh, you insert somebody like uh, Mikey Lopez in there, who 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 will play a bit more withdrawn, but give you a little more. Um, a little more lateral movement on the field than uh, than Olam would. So Lopez is one thought to uh, to mix things up a bit in the midfield if uh, if Vermes wanted to go that way. Um, I, I do think that Bieler is probably the smart choice to be up top. Although I did like Vermes's uh, little dig at at uh, Bieler in that. In that MLS article that you mentioned, Ben, where he said, uh, uh, and the good thing is he doesn't need his passport for this trip, um, was what was the quote that he threw out in that article. So, I mean, th- th- what that tells me is that 
that uh, Vermes was not happy, isn't happy at all with that situation. And um, but but it also tells me that he's probably going to get the start here because come uh, come October um, he he's probably not making the trip to uh, to Costa Rica unless they do something to expedite his passport process. So, I mean, it, it's. I think this is one of the rare instances where he's he's going to get a start, and uh, uh, yeah, it's probably going to be one of the last ones he gets for us at this rate. Yeah, I have been last in asking about the whole passport thing, but I know he didn't make the trip to Toronto a few weeks ago because he didn't have a passport. He couldn't go because of his passport. Does anybody know what the situation is actually about his passport? No idea. Yeah, the the team never stated anything other than passport, uh, an issue with his passport. I mean, that's one of those questions that normally I would ask, you know, and find out, but just for some reason it's never been on the top of my mind when I've had the chance this time. Um, yeah, I just took it as a little dig at him for not having a passport, but um, I don't know, maybe not quite, maybe not quite as much of a dig as you took it, but. I kind of took it as a, you know, more of a joking dig. Uh, but, yeah, I think he's obviously the most likely choice. If if not him, it could be CJ, obviously, or there's probably a couple other options, but I would say he'd be the next most likely. How about defense? Do we see the same defense the that started the last game? Do we see... Um, you know, do we see maybe one of the center backs get rested... Uh, to be honest, you mentioned that you thought Owen didn't have a good game last game. I don't think Colin has had the best game the last couple of games either. Obviously, <laughs> he's been one of our most steady guys through the last couple of years. But it seems it's it seemed to me that I, there was a period last year and maybe even the year before that he had a, a period late in the season that he had two or three bad games and then it kind of picked back up again. And just the bad games before didn't hurt us as much. I think the issue with the back line and why I don't think we'll see any changes is is simply due to due to a lack of options there. Really, I mean, um, Juliao is still is still questionable, and that goes back to the whole one hundred percent thing. So um, our primary backup at center back at this point, uh, Ellis, is likely going to be. Uh, be playing on the at the right defensive uh, right back position for us uh, tomorrow night. Um, you have Peterson still out, or else he would be an option to uh, to slot in at right back if you really wanted to uh, to to push Ellis to the middle. And, and like I and I mean, it, it's a toss up. If you really want to replace somebody, it would be to probably to drop Olin back. If you really want to drop Colin and. Uh, like and honestly, I don't. I think it's six of one, half dozen with another, with the way that uh, the two played against against Houston. But the I got to give the edge to Collins simply because that's his natural position, and based off of general talent, he is by far the better center back of the two. That is. Yeah. Um, I, I was looking at. The, at the defense for tomorrow, and they simply don't have enough. They really don't have a lot of options. Um, 
Palmer Brown is with the U20s. Um, Igor is... He, I haven't seen a, a status update on him. You, you said he was still questionable? Yeah. Okay, so... He was practicing yeah. yesterday when I saw him. Emergency fullback uh, Jeff Jacob Peterson is out. Um, that, I guess that brings Zito as, the, as an emergency fullback if they need it, but it's kind of going reminiscent to May and J- early June where they um, barely had any, barely had any uh, defenders at all and had to rely on very, very little. And there's really not, no one that they can call back from Oklahoma City or Orlando that I can think of off the top of my head. Um, so, I mean, this is just kind of one of those you gotta you just got to go with what you got for the next couple of games and um, wait for everyone to get healthy. All right. Um, is there anything else we should cover on the New England, uh, the game in New England? Moving on. Um, I think most of us. Uh, are you going to say something? No. All right. Uh, moving on. I think most of us know that FC Kansas City played in the NWSL Championship a few days ago and are the new NWSL champions. The um, two goals, uh, Lauren Holiday to uh, Amy Rodriguez, both of them, both very beautiful passes from Lauren Holiday. She was a game MVP, deservedly so, I thought. I, I know some other people didn't, but I thought very much so. Uh, we will do a, probably a very specific podcast on them wrapping up the season with uh, with some coaches and players and other people on the call, but... Just any anything you guys want to comment on them real quick? Um, yeah, sure. Just Vlad Kilianinovsky uh, executed his game plan perfectly. They had that. Uh, they had Seattle figured out, and they they played Seattle one of the best out of all the teams this year uh, to two draws and a loss, and really against. Against a team as good as Seattle was this year, that that that's pretty good. And so they were able to get that win um, at, at Starfire Stadium in 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 Seattle. I, I was really impressed with the way that Lacto was able to coach his team to victory. And uh, yeah, I mean it wasn't just Lacto; the players performed brilliantly. Buskowski was played excellently. Um, Lauren Holiday was sublime. Amy Rodriguez was great as always. Um, I, I'm going. I always have a few favorite goals that I'll go back watch from sports. That Seth Stanova goal against New England last year—that's going to be one of my favorites. That Lauren Holiday goal, that second one where, or, well, she got to Rodriguez, but she set it up very well, where she dribbled in and out of, like, of about four defenders going into the box and setting it up on the tee on a platter for, um, for Rodriguez. That was just a beautiful goal, beautiful. Just it was great by Holiday. So there's just some of the quick impressions I'll get from I took from that game, and uh, like I said, we'll go more in depth on the um, special SC Kansas City podcast when we discuss their championship more. 
But you know, it's it's very very good to have um, them get get that championship. They've been the most consistent team over the past uh, two years, the first two seasons in um, in in any of the USL play, and so I, I think they really deserve that championship. Absolutely, Mike. Any, any thoughts? No, I, it, the the performance as a whole was really very impressive for uh, Kansas City. The way the way that they played on the road, they the, they took it, especially after the two 0 lead. It was a a lot of that bend don't break defensive mentality um, that that honestly we've seen a lot with Kansas City at time, with Sporting at times. Um, just um, very good at um, at taking taking the pressure from the other team and then uh, th- then taking it and then getting the ball back downfield. You you always like to see a little bit more possession late in the uh, late in the game, but I, I mean overall very impressive performance to go there and get the win. Two very well taken goals by Rodriguez. A, the the as Ben said the second one with the, with Holiday's setup just with the the slalom the quick slalom run was uh, absolutely fantastic so uh, no a, a great performance a, a well deserved championship for uh, for FCKC yeah and and I mean I'm just going to kind of echo what both of you just said but those goals if you haven't seen them yet. Go look at them. I mean, even if you're not a fan of women's soccer in general, go check them out. The the run in the for the first goal, Lauren Holiday got open in the free space, made the run at the defense, basically froze them with her run, while A Rod made a nice uh, run, slipped through the, the basically the seam of the defense and popped into the open with a perfectly placed pass from uh, Holiday and goal. And the second one. Holiday made a run that is just—it's hard to describe. She had a couple of defenders draped over her and defenders all around her, and she controlled that ball, went into the box, and basically set it up on the penalty spot for a rod to put it home. And then a lot of people haven't even noticed, but there was yet another uh, FC Kansas City player that was just past a rod. So if a rod missed it, Erica Timrak was right on the on the doorstep also. Um, it was just well they were they were attacking essentially in waves when they had that chance and it was it's a beautiful goal. Um, so basically, I just repeated what you guys said. So sorry for the listeners. Roundtable time and my roundtable. I'm going to lead. Is does the FCKC win mean we really get to claim the title of Soccer City or Soccer Capital or does it really mean nothing at all at this point? Uh, Sporting's the defending MLS champions. Uh, Missouri Comets are the the defending MISL <laughs> champions, the last MISL champion there ever will be. Uh, but they they won the championship in the upper division of indoor soccer last season. FC Kansas City was the most consistent team over the two years in the NWSL, and quite honestly, one of the prettiest teams to watch. And they won the championship this season. What does that say for Kansas City soccer at this point? Does it say anything? Well, I think it says a lot about um, one of the constants in all three of those teams has been really good 
um, coaching and execution of game plans. I mean, uh, Vlatko uh, is coaching both FC Kansas City and the Comets, and they were able to, um, and he was able to um, coach them both to victory. Peter Ramirez's uh, squads have done really well when they've executed uh, high pressure 4-3-3. I think that's a huge constant that um, I, I know this among all teams. You, they, and I, I haven't watched the comments as much as I've watched uh, the Blues or supporting Kansas City. Um, another big constant is really good playmakers in the midfield on sporting in FC Kansas City. Um, you've got either Zuzi or Fellhaber and then either Tim Rack or Holiday for the Blues. So there's some parallels. Now, going back to your original question of whether we are Soccer City USA or um, whatever that is, I I, I mean, I, I don't pay too much attention to all that. I, I, I really like that world champions at the same time. I think that is that that's really that's really cool. Um, the, I can't really think of another word to describe it. It's just a really cool thing to have. And it, considering the championship droughts that uh, Kansas City as a whole have had, um, it, it's really nice to see us really dominating in one sport. Well, I, I guess two different sports, but um, with indoor soccer and soccer, but you know what I mean. Um, I, it's just—it's something cool to have. I—I I, I think the soccer city, soccer capital label is um, just kind of dumb. The MLS keeps writing articles about it because it gets all the fans out debating on it and gets reads and all that stuff. But it, it's really cool to have all three of those titles. How about you, Mike? You've been one of the long-suffering uh, Wizards fans before. I mean, obviously you're around for the first championship, but you were one of the many those fans that suffered for all those years, and now we have three really good teams over the last couple, three years. Cool. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, at, at this time, yeah, you can say we're the soccer capital of the U.S., but I'd like to 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 really claim that I'd like to see more a, a the I'd like to see us keep the top, keep up the momentum in uh, in all three with all three teams. I'd like to see an improvement in attendance for uh, for two of those teams, and I'd like to see make see see uh, the city make it through some lean years until. Still support the team before I, I I really start to call them the uh, the the call Kansas City the soccer capital of America. I, I just don't feel there's um, enough history with with it to really get that to stick. I mean, yeah, right now we we hold all three titles, so yeah, you can say that we are we're the soccer capital because all the championships are here, but. For for the 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 status to stick, I, there needs to be longevity with the support. There needs to be the ability to stay through the lean years when uh, when teams don't make the playoffs and and again the improved attendance. But it, it, it's it's nice to see uh, see championships won, and it's nice to see the recognition from uh, from the non soccer community for those championships as well. Yeah, and, and throwing throwing my two cents in there, I I've actually always kind of hated the whole soccer capital, soccer city thing. Even though you know, I'll sometimes throw it out there and use it myself. 
because the reality is, at any one point, there's a lot of soccer cities in this country. There's a lot of places producing good players. Um, I, to, to even add on to the Kansas City claim at this point, though, uh, there's so many local players on all of those teams. Uh, now, the, the majority of the starters on uh, FCKC are not local, but they have you know numerous contributors that are local and some that are coming up some very very good women players that are in the college ranks right now that are still uh even be, you know not even in the college ranks right now that are probably going to make an impact in the future um and we you know we've seen the guys like Beesler and Sinovic and Palmer Brown and um Kevin Ellis and Kempen and Grunebaum and all that stuff with with sporting and local guys with comets so i think that just adds to that being able to make any kind of claim whatsoever. Uh, we'll probably discuss this more than once over the next couple of years, though, as Sporting wins another MLS Cup later this year, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see, any more roundtable type of subjects? Uh, Mike, you got anything you want to throw out there? I've got nothing this week. How about you, Ben? Um, yeah, one thing, and I've talked about this on Twitter, I talked about in the recap video I did um, on Friday, um, and that's, and we probably should have talked about this in Houston, but I forgot to mention it. Um, Benny Failhaber, out of that match, I think Benny Failhaber angered me the most, because uh, he went and threw that first shove on, um, uh, on Sarkozy. Um, and ended up getting a yellow card for it, and that's why he is suspended for this game against New England. And it's like I realize that tensions are high, and I realize that it's a very important game, and everyone's getting physical, and Sir Cody was kind of being uh, being in the way and not getting on the ball, uh, uh, preventing the free kick from happening quick, quickly. But... That to me, that just seems like a very dumb way to pick up a yellow card when you're already sitting on yellow card accumulation. Um, and and now Sporting loses one of its um, best offensive targets uh, for for this match against New England in what I think was a very avoidable instance. Do you guys agree? I'd agree. It's it's definitely avoidable, but. I mean, uh, again, it goes back to Thad's earlier point. Where you were, how pissed were you at Dwyer's uh, selfie yellow? Because that, I think, is a dumber card to take than the one that Failhaber took in the uh, took against Houston. Yeah, yeah. The, the Failhaber one is something that shouldn't happen because it's out of anger, but it's out of anger and it's a spur of the moment. Where Dom's was a pre-planned. No anger, no emotion. I'm just going to have fun, and you know, the what the result, um, penalties fall as they may. I guess <laughs> it just it it was unnecessary. It was fun and funny, but not necessary. And did, what was the uh, Dom's yellow for in the Houston game? Wasn't that off the ball? That was, or wasn't it for not off foul. the ball, but not. It was. Uh, yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't remember who it was for, but it was for a foul. But hopping on Ben's point real quick, the while while it's disappointing what Failhaber did, 
felt it was more disappointing what Sporting did uh, after that. After that, after the uh, the little tussle was broken up, the the more disappointing thing was Sporting on the video boards only ever showing Sarkozy's shove on Failhopper. Mm-hmm. They showed that three or four times. Never once showed uh, Failhopper's initial shove. I was at the opposite end of the field. I didn't even know that Failhopper had shoved. Sarkozy until uh, until I saw comments on on Twitter about it because the only thing I ever really got a good look at was the replay which was only Sarkozy being sho- Sarkozy shoving uh, shoving Failhaber. So while you're pissed at Failhaber, I'm pissed at the way the team handled the situation because it completely threw Geiger under the bus in that situation. Now Geiger had didn't have a great first half. I thought he did better in the second half, but. That, that completely threw him under the bus for the probably the majority of the people who who didn't see the first shove, who only saw the replay of Sarkozy shoving Failhaber, and then were raising hell for why did Failhaber get the yellow? Why did Failhaber get the yellow? He was only he was the one that was pushed. So again, you're pissed at Failhaber. I'm more pissed at the team for the way they handled the situation. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely pissed at them, too, because I didn't realize, I was like you, I didn't realize that uh, Phil Hubbard had thrown the first show until I saw a replay on uh, Twitter. Um, yeah, that was very, very poor handling of that. It's And one thing I was thinking of is how, how mad the crowd was getting. And I'm thinking, if you if a club wants, uh, and sporting fans haven't done this in a I can't even remember if they've done it in the past few years, but you get an opportunity like that where um, where fans are so angry at this ref and they start throwing stuff on the field, and there's fans who are going to try and stop other fans, but you know there's there's going to be drunk jerks who are just going to do it anyway. You want to, if a, if a team wants to stop. Um, fans from getting out of control, then you don't give them that ammunition. Um, you, you gotta get, you gotta, uh, you, you gotta control the game with that somehow because that deliberate, like you said, deliberately threw Geiger under the bus and it really, uh, it, 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 if things had gotten, now I'm not going to say that sporting fans are anywhere close to, Anywhere close to really, really uh, violent hooligans or stuff, but there could have been some instances where trash was thrown on the field or um, stuff like that. I mean, minor stuff in comparison, but uh, it'd be major stuff by our standards. Mike was Mike was right that Geiger did not have a good first half, at least from my point of view. Uh, obviously, I don't looking through a camera lens, I sometimes miss a lot of stuff that's going on around. But from what I could see, he didn't have a good first half. I thought he missed some calls and didn't call things right. And even on the fail harbor, when the fail harbor got the yellow, Sarkozy responded, he should, probably should have got the yellow also. Um, so maybe you could even say he didn't do the correct thing in that. But the worst thing to me about the sporting one is they've pushed the envelope on what they show as far as replays. And I know they've gotten uh, fined, I believe, for some of the things they've done. Because there's definite rules on what you're supposed to show. When things are controversial, you're not supposed to show those. But I think what the worst part about it is, to me, you lose a little bit of your credibility when you only show one side of it. If you're going to show a controversial play, show the controversial play where a player on the other team truly did foul a sporting player. 
take the X hundred or thousand dollars or whatever fine it is and incite the crowd that way for something legitimate. But when you only show one side of it, now the next time they show that play at Sporting Park, you know, half the cauldron is going to say, wait a minute, did you show the, all the, the whole thing? Did we miss something that you're not showing? And they won't get the reaction out of it. You you lose credibility when you do that one-sided. Yeah. All right. Mike, uh, the last segment usually is the Will John update. As people, as we've told before, searching for Will John was always a challenge after he left the Wizards. So that's why we called it that. Um, do you have any good Will John updates for us this week, Mike? Really, the only thing uh, I'll go into, I posted it on the blog last week, was uh, was Alex Martinez, uh, Alex Martinez's red card uh, for um, for uh, Orange County the uh, the other weekend in USL Pro action. Um, it, it's really hard to explain. Uh, it, it's more I, I'd recommend going going to my blog and watching the YouTube video because I'm not going to do it justice explaining it. But basically, late in the game, uh, Orange County had a a, a corner kick. And before the corner kick was taken, there was some uh, some elbows thrown in the box by by players for both Wilmington and Orange County. Uh, this led to red cards and uh, for for two a player for each team basically. As the Wilmington player was walking to the uh, to the locker room area, uh, a coach was following him because you have to have somebody follow escort the player off the field um, for sporting. It's usually Chris Chris Weish is usually the one I see uh, escorting uh, sporting players off the field. Um, but basically, as he walked by the corner flag. Uh, where Martinez was ready to take the corner kick, he kicked the ball uh, off off of where he had it planted and right towards the towards the goal, basically. Um, and not sure why. I don't know if I ever heard why, but Martinez took exception, took a quick look at the referee who actually didn't see the play take place, and then took off and gave the assistant coach a shove for it. Uh, this led to the entire field emptying as all the players uh, – went and um, had a had a nice discussion off the field, I guess you could say. Um, by the time things got settled, the referee then produced a red card for uh, Alex Martinez as well, and the game was finished 10-9 v with Wilmington with 10, and Wilmington won 2-1 with a very late equalizer. Again, that's bare-bones explanation. Go, go watch the from the two-hour, 25-minute mark of the game um, on, on the blog, and you'll be able to see the entire situation. This seemed a little out of character for Alex there, but uh, that was probably the worst response i ever seen to somebody kicking a ball. <laughs> uh, do go check out the video, though. It's kind of – it's not the greatest video, but it is a little bit entertaining at least. All right. Any last words, guys? Ben? No, I'm good. Mike? I got nothing. All right. This is Thad. Uh, as always, uh, read the bluetestament.com, read down the byline.com, and we will be back with more podcasts in the very near future.
Feel alright. 